The lights come up. The camera focuses. You are somewhere between and the reality of your life is on show. We feel compelled to put on a show all the time and on the stage of life, it is filled with some award-winning performances that most will never get to see on stage. Not all of our stories are glamorous. I am Philip Clark. Join me today as we unearth the many roles of real people who share their journey and the lessons learned on that journey. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. Hey guys, it's me again. Welcome again to another episode in season two. Yes, season two of Lights, Camera, Real Life. And I'm very excited. Let me tell you something, man. I am very excited because guess what? I have with me today, wow, a very special person, a very special person. I mean, I feel... I feel even more special because I was allowed to really given the opportunity to talk to this man. No, trust me. No, I'm not lie. No, I, I really feel that way. And today on our show, may I get into it because I don't want to wait so long. Today, I have on Lights, Camera, Real Life, our second, second guest for season two. His name is Anno O'Kara. Yes, Anno, what's <laughs> going on in? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent and all the better for seeing you. And let me tell you something. As I said before, I yeah. feel very privileged to be in your presence because uh, people, people, him not talk, him not, go, him not do interview, him not do interview. And me, fi, I come interview him, I come have a chat. Lord of mercy, give me at least 40 minutes. I'm time. Mm -mm. So I know I had a little introduction here prepared for you. I, I just want you to give me your permission so I can go ahead, sir. I hope I do you justice. Go ahead. <laughs> you are that was amazing <laughs> that was so amazing thank you very much i'm very humbled and very honored to um share with you today thank ah, you for having me so ladies and gentlemen anna okera is an actor writer and producer and i just want you to pay attention to this he is very popularly known for writing and producing his first, sorry, his work on the American street mural in Harlem. And guess what now? It was the winner of the best documentary short at the New York International Film Awards in 2021. Very powerful documentary. You all need to go and watch that. Very powerful. He is also, why? I'm going to make him talk a lot about who he is, but you might want to know that he was cast in the premiere of Bob Marley's musical, Marley, in, I think that was in 2015, as Don Letts. He will correct me 
if there's any other thing that I need to say, but I just want to leave it right there. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to a Jamaican who has been a light on the, on the Broadway scene all over the diaspora and today. And then talk to us about that journey and the lessons learned on that journey. People, help me welcome Mr. Anno Okera to the stage. <laughs> I'm not coming on stage today. <laughs> I refuse. Uh, so Anno. Hi, everybody. Uh, yes. I wanna, I wanna, yes, I wanna, I wanna go into the name. Anno Okero, because I find it very, very interesting. As a matter of fact, I find it very sexy, as actually, I, I like the way how it slithers off my tongue. <laughs> Anno Okero, it's, just, it's, so, it's so easy to call. And uh, I want to know the history of that name. It's, it's, it's not that, I wouldn't say it's a glamorous thing. Um, I'm raised very, very Rastafarian um, and Christian. And my Rastafarian um, father decided that he wanted to name his kids um, for the very first Afro-Jamaicans. So my name is um, an Akan name. Oh. Um, it means my second child, a likening unto God. No, I'm not my mother's um, second child. So that's a bit of a discrepancy, but that is my father's truth. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to argue with him. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just uh, okay. That's just my name. Yeah. And Akan <laughs> is a tribe in Ghana. Yeah, most of the early, um, most of the early um, Afro Jamaicans, uh, a lot of the Kromanti tribe, they're from the Akan region. Right, right. Wow, love it. I like a man who is connected to his roots. So speaking of <laughs> speaking of your 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 roots, mm -hmm. you grew up in Jamaica. You now reside in the UK. Jamaica has been a very inspirational and spiritual experience for a lot of us. But can you tell us a little bit about you know when you started as a young artist, brilliant artist? I think some people would call you a a triple threat. You know, he can <laughs> act, he can sing, he can certainly dance, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. And he, he started off with, with, a, with a group called Little People. I think it was Kathy Levy and Little People. How did that impact you and develop you as a man? Because you started very early and so you had that opportunity to just grow and you're and you're still doing what you've always done. You're still in the arts. You're still in the entertainment. You're still in production. How did that impact you? Your early beginnings, and what lessons uh, would you say you could pass on to us from that experience? Well, um, well, where do I start? <laughs> um, I was very much a child. Um, I was at Mona Primary when. Um, we got the call to audition for this choir. I think this was in 1988. So of course I'm aging myself here. Um, and um, there were only two of us that were sent from Mona Primary. Um, my father who was really excited about it. He was the one who taught me 
do re mi fa so la ti do took me to my audition wow. and um i think for a good chunk of my entire experience as a child performer he was really the stage parent and he was always there with me and i will actually say that i i wasn't i always felt safe because my dad was always kind of close which was good yeah. um very important. so i <laughs> very important so i um went and i auditioned um for the little people choir it was round about that time that i met kathy levy and paulette bellamy mm -hmm. and um one would then say that the rest is history because um i was one of the young kids in that choir um a lot of those guys i'm still friends with to this day i don't see them every day we don't talk every day but um when we do get a chance to catch up it's a really good time all the time and we love each other a lot still um little people choir became little people and team players club um in 1989 and um wow. then we moved from this whole just being um you know just being in music sort of vibe to this is this whole experience where we're also dabbling more with our musical and live performance um i discovered um around about then that dance was a very very natural language for me um so yes i pretty much spent most of my childhood as a singer actor dancer I was always really one of the youngest in the group. Um so I I will say that I have a lot of bigger brothers and sisters and by extension um a lot of their parents as adopted parents, right? right? Aunts and uncles. Um so yeah, that's pretty much where I got my start. I mean, we went from there to high school i um i went to george's st george's uh shortly after that um <laughs> there one thing happened that would haunt me for my entire teenage life was that while well, i was at mona primary i did this reading song reading make it a full man song with <laughs> and i i swear you that it it haunted me in both positive and negative ways because when you're at a voice because when you're at a voice school you know mm -hmm. like um you know just everybody always have something to say but yeah. i also um but i also um formed some really cool um connections as a result of that um I, i think a lot of the friends that i met initially at george's wanted to be friends with me because they wanted to get to know they weren't it wasn't just about my talent for them that started out that way yeah but um one of them in particular um <laughs> who I'm still very close to is uh is you know we, it, he saw me singing it was a bad kid and da -da 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 -da. Mm -hmm. and next thing you know Anajabel and her friends so we have pretty much like maintained our friendship from then until now um and uh so so for you what happened after that for you at the time yeah. especially at st george's yeah. were you afraid of 
being seen in the spotlight on the stage as a boy or, or were there any kind of a inhibitions there or hang-ups or you were just you a were lot a lot of people a lot of people feel um a lot of people feel don't believe me when I say this but um I think I'm naturally more of a shy person I think I've learned to be okay with being out there and being on um I realize that a lot more now that I'm older and I just don't really want to see anybody. But um a lot of us, my friend. Wally Powie. I saw the wall of his <laughs> Right. But um but I have never really been the sort of person that have moved with fear. I don't necessarily think that fear is part of my DNA. I'm just keeping it real. Um so so um I I knew from a very, very early age that the stage was home. So any opportunity that I got to be home was just that. I was just doing what I was put here to do. I was just living in my purpose. Um, I, I, I knew that. that. All, I, I've known that. And it wasn't, so, so the engagement with people, I think, I always knew that that was part of the responsibility of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, how how performance can be transformative um, when people are trying to escape their normalcy, so they can just be moved, or just, however temporarily, just you know, escape their whatever issues it is that they're having, and I, you know, being a catalyst for that as a performer, I think. I, even as a child was a very very important thing for me and I took that very 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 seriously wow. so much so that I was a bit a bit annoying I think for some of um my colleagues because yeah because you were way so ahead on. Yeah. you were way ahead you were confident this thing led to you being so confident being so accepting of yourself and and your dad your dad you said something about your, your dad being there made you feel safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, dad, dad is, dad, that is dad, you know what I mean? So, of course, I'm going to feel safe if dad is there. Um, but there were also a lot of um, parents around um, that um, also reinforced that. And, um, and I think to a huge degree, one, you know, I could say that, you know, you know, and to Kathy or Miss Levy, as we would affectionately call her, mm-hmm. was very, very much apparent too, yeah. um, for me at least. Um, so, but um, how important is your? How important is a child's biological father? We're we talking about fathers now. How important is a child's biological father to the? Hmm. Early stages of their lives. How? It, what is it for you? I mean, I think, I think, I mean, that, I think because I've always had that. It's not that I take it for granted or anything, because I don't. Um, I've not known what that experience. That's that's been my experience. I don't know what it's like to not have that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that conversely, there are people in my experience who haven't really had their dads around 
I think that some of them have been better off for it, while others um, haven't quite done so well for it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's, 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 it, it can look different based on the circumstance. Um, and of course, fathers don't always have to be biological, so. True, true. There's also that. Yeah. True, true, for real. But fortunately for me, my dad was present. And, um, and you so know, I guess every child you. really needs community. Yeah. Huh? He supported you all throughout your, what I would call now purpose, because we're not talking career now, because you found your purpose from a very early age. And this just made you walk in a particular path. I think that I, I, it's very, I can say 100% yes to that. Um, I've never been in conflict about who I am because my, my dad really reinforced that. I think more than my mom, he actually reinforced that. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I didn't want him to, he reinforced it. You know, because as, as children, you just, you, sometimes you want to break away from, um, the mirror that's your parents you want to sort of um see yourself very very differently you want to ex- explore right. the world and expand what you feel your reality should be and you know sometimes you just don't want to hear what your parents have to say but i think um i think that the voices that i hear in my head still are firstly my mom and my dad mm-hmm. um and i think a huge chunk of why I've, you know, had the drive I've had, or I've gotten through um, the darker periods of my experience has been because I've not been in conflict about my parents' love or feeling love. And, um, and just, you know, little things that they'd say or do, you know, so yeah. (laughs) What are some of those things? Yeah, we'll answer the question. What are some? One of the things is this is very very interesting. I'm not I'm not really I don't really do validation a lot. I don't. Um, my mom used to always say ignore ignorance. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, and I think like there was just no other way to put it. Like there are just certain some things that just are just not relevant to who you are, where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, focusing on you will make more sense. I always hear my dad saying, if um, you prepare, if you feel to prepare, prepare to fail or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, you know, that's, that's one of the things. I mean, he, there are a bunch of things that he's always um, saying, uh, inclusive of, Humble yourself, my youth. And that's, it always was weird for me because I don't think, I'm not a humble person. Um, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not going to like try, I'm not going to pretend with you like, oh my God, I'm this very, um, I'm not. Um, uh, <laughs> I would say I'm more, I, I, I'm more like my father in that regard. He's kind of like that. a big a big personality and very eccentric and yeah. you know very loving so i don't necessarily think by our nature we we don't you know we are very okay with collaboration so, so let me ask something um else. other jazz how do yeah. you reconcile that big personality that you speak of with 
that person is also shy and reserved? Um, I, um, I've always had an outlet, right? I've always had, I've always had the stage and um, performance as an outlet for me. You know, as a performer, you can become many things. You can explore all of those aspects of yourself that you wouldn't necessarily or ordinarily be given an opportunity to, to explore. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, there are lots of things that I've done, um, you know, while embodying different characters mm -hmm. um, that I don't need to do anymore because I've <laughs> done that on stage. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, totally like, understand. <laughs> like, um, it, so there's, I'm, I, of course, I'm jumping forward. There's, no, that's fine. There's this one role, there's this one role that I played, right? And I legit played that role for more than two years. And every night, every, every night, eight nights a week, every performance, um, I had to wear six inch heels. I had to literally like do some like back, backflip. Whoa. Crap <laughs> in a six inch heels. And the thing is like uh, a lot of guys, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of guys like dressing up, you know, mm -hmm. um, and taking on a feminine persona. Mm -hmm. I have absolutely no desire. Exactly. Been there, done that, honey. I remember one day, but you know, as a you know, as a guy, you, you you can sweat, right? I remember one night I was on stage and we're like, awesome. you know, and it was just hot as balls, and um, I I just felt my eyelashes just loose and then it just fell <laughs> oh dear. and i looked down i looked down and my music because band was on stage and mm -hmm. the band the, the, the music director look look up and i'm like hmm. the eyelash fall right on him hand while in my play oh and it was just hilarious so like for me the way that i sweat and just what i had to go through to do that but uh -huh. i'm just i'm so okay in my own skin as me so i mean as a stand-up course that's just one random example because that's a lot more trick that's a more tricky conversation to have it's just an example no, you know what i mean comfortable so, yeah, in yeah. your own skin and that's beautiful <laughs> comfortable you get to live so many different lives on stage you have no desire to act out anything in real life speaking of that have you ever had a role have you ever played a role that somehow mirrors or gets you to grapple with some things that you're going through in your real life? Mm, I think on some level, um, I think on many levels, sorry. I wouldn't say that there's just one role that's done that. Okay. I think that there are a number of, I think that there are a number of roles that do that, okay. uh, that have done that. That's allowed me to really reconcile some of the things that I thought I dealt with that I hadn't dealt with. Mm -hmm. um, I don't perform full-time these days. It's a very big choice I've made. Um, 
a lot of people are very, very angry with me for that, but I'm not doing that for them. I'm living my life. And um, these days I, I write uh, films and TV shows and audio dramas um, full time. You know, I, by natural progression, I'm now creating a lot of the work that I would like to see, that I would like to experience where we can actually create worlds where there are more people who actually like look like me, talk like me. Uh, Um, I don't want to compromise the way I speak as a Jamaican to Hollywood this or Hollywood that. Um, So it was important for me to come to the UK uh, to do an MA in script writing so I can properly like lay out how the way I speak should be authenticated on a page. Um, And so for me, I think where I am now is I am forcing myself, not necessarily just to rectify things I've been through, but to also put on the page what my mom's experience might have looked like, what my great grandmother's experience could have looked like, what what kind of stuff must it have been like for my dad who was, a teenage father, yeah. you know, how did that derail his dreams? Yeah. Um, you know, so, so, so like, I think for me, um, the responsibility has shifted. Um, it, it, it all looks different now, but yeah, I hope I answered the question. Oh, yo, def- oh, yeah, man, listen to me. There's that okay, gentleman. Yeah, the people, 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 people. We're talking to Anna Akira. Anna Akira. Writer, producer. And trust me, I'm going to drop some things here today. And I mean, I'm just listening and just being enamored by all of what he's saying. And I'm just being inspired. Anna, I want to go back to when you transitioned from Jamaica to the to, to the states how did that happen and what <clears throat> impacted that well um before before i even jump into that i will say that we um we moved from little people to ashe um performing arts ensemble um i think it's important for me to say that who i am um as a performer was hugely reinforced by both being in Little People and Ashe. Um, me owning myself, me looking at the possibilities that exists as a performer, I attribute to Kathy and to Paulette Bellamy and to Joseph Robinson. And I have to really like um, lay that on the table and really just honor them in that way because um, if they didn't exist, I would not have found the courage to really, um, transition to New York in the way that I did. Now, um, I left Jamaica. Well, first of all, it was challenging. First, it was challenging to leave Jamaica. Um, I'm from very humble beginnings. Uh, just, to say, I, just, I to say, guys, really... just to say, guys, that uh, Joseph, Robinson, <laughs> Joseph Robinson was the founder of the Asher Performing Arts. That I know. Joseph and Joseph and Paulette. Joseph and Paulette. Element. Yeah. They were the founders yes. of the Asher Performing Arts in Jamaica. 
Yes. 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 And you're looking at um, to one of the products of that. <laughs> of the founding man, and and it's funny. It's really interesting to say things like I was a founding member of Little People, or I'm a founding member of that. But I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a founding member of the definitely institutions definitely that were created, and it's just so cool. To and guys, like, and guys, see, him don't look like you him don't look like twenty. So nobody no thinks that I want big man. Yeah, <laughs> I want big man, but I want big man. <laughs> <laughs> it look like 20 years. Parents, you. Yeah, but the curse of my parents, you. I'm very grateful for my parents, you, for appearances. But, you know, it's just so cool to actually see, um, you know, Conroy and Michael um, Holgate really carrying on the legacy. I'm so proud of them and just really excited about how they're carrying that on and the ways that they're actually like leaving this really big impact. Um, I went, I decided that I was going to leave um, Jamaica to go to New York because I was going to perform. And that was that. I mean, I wasn't necessarily, I mean, at that point, I had already- You know what I just remembered? You know what I just remembered? I just remembered. When you said a while ago, I, I was just going to perform, I, I remember. Fame, I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna yeah. learn how to fly. <laughs> fly, yeah. I think it's I think what's interesting is that um Jamaica is is still such a very um tiered place in how people exist in their classisms. Um, and I, I say it like that because I was recently there and I, I couldn't help seeing it, mm -hmm. um, particularly because, you know, when I was leaving from where I was leaving to go down to Augustone to visit my family, I had to pass through, uh, uh, you know, the military um, paroling you. the community um, and just, you know, also having to rectify with the fact that um, I'm kind of saddened that those kids that are living in Augustown now will always grow up with feeling like second-class citizens, whether we want to call it that or not. I didn't have to go through that. So it's just it's challenging to rectify. But I say all of that to say that um, a lot of my friends left school knowing that they were going to go to this university and that university because mommy and daddy were going to pay for it. Or if they, you know, were competitive academically enough, they got scholarships to go to these places and that places. There weren't a lot of things in place for children who performed. And there weren't necessarily a lot of people preparing those kids who performed to explore those kinds of careers, you know? So um, I followed suit with um, friends of mine who left, who had help from their parents. Um, while my parents gave me an abundance of love, them not from a very, very, very well background. Yeah. yeah. So I had to make a lot of things work. And um, I won't necessarily like go into a lot of that. But um, what I will say is that I left Jamaica with $400 um, after I pay everything else I'm going to need to pay. And really didn't prepare my parents that I was actually going to leave. I just left. I didn't tell anybody by and um, made it work. 
No. Um, what was interesting about my initial experience, of course, I'm glossing over a lot, um, is that what was great about my experience from Little People and Ashe was that there was nothing that those guys in New York could teach me about stagecraft. Yeah. Because I had already learned how to master it while being a teenager. Jamaica. And so a lot of the auditions that I did were effortless. You know, I pretty much did all the shows I wanted to do. Um, we didn't have Facebook or um, any of them things there at that time. It was, we, had, we were pretty much just getting into starting MySpace, I think. God, I'm <laughs> eating <myself. laughs> Don't say, don't say, don't say. But, don't say. <laughs> but um but I think I haven't really spoken about a lot of the things I've done. So a lot of Jamaicans don't know about a lot of the things that I've done, but I was adamant about living my life on my terms and living my dreams. Now listen, that though easy when you're an artist, I jump from show to show to show. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to do, and I refused to apologize to anybody for living in my truth. I was living in my truth. I'm still living in my truth and um, I'm still finding solutions every day. Um, but it actually like has gotten much better. And I'm excited about um, all the things that are in front of me. New York was a great experience. Learned a lot. And now I'm in London. So you're learning so, a lot. So in New York, did you do only musicals or you did a variety of theatrical production? I did a, I did a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I did a whole lot. Um, I um, I did a bunch of shows, um, including West Side Story and Rent and um, All Shook Up and Hello Dolly and Dream Girls and others. Um, as you rightfully said, the last show that I did was Marley in um. In 2015, and by that point, I actually was not performing. Um, I said yes to that because I never ever had the privilege of doing a show where I was seeing Hope Road or Old Hope Road or this or that, you know, the streets I used to pass every day. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, I didn't quite walk away from that experience feeling full. And I knew then that it was important for me to really show up in a very, very different way. Um, and so I decided in 2015 that it was time for me to actually write. Mm -hmm. My mom has been saying to me all this time, why don't you write? Just write. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, are you nuts? Why? Why would I do that? Um, but I realized that um, writing felt more to me like dance and music felt. Ah, or feels beautiful. to me they're like primary it's like primary language and um the way i approach that is so polyrhythmic so um being able as a writer to not just screenwrite you know like i can screenwrite i can write audio dramas i can write musicals or plays you know and i'm trained to do all of it um it's like uh learning to do ballet or modern or jazz or you know it's it's the it's it's the same thing so it just kind of and even as a director um just the 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 dance that a director does behind the the, the scenes it feels like choreography in the way 
um, it all just comes together in the ways that you have to hone in on how you're specifically getting what's intended in each scene or in every moment. So would you say um, found your niche? Would you say? I mean, I mean, I, I am living in my purpose. Um, I am definitely where I'm supposed to be. Love like, um, Love like, I was one of those children in Augustone that grew up in front of the TV knowing every single commercial. To this day, I can sing most of the commercials from my childhood. Awesome. Go figure, right? I can imagine. Don't ask. Me. <laughs> but, but, um, but, but I've been in love with screen craft right. since I was a child. And I grew up in that golden age of HBO dramas and thrillers and i think so much of that became film therapy for me at times when i needed therapy Mm -hmm. and i didn't know back then that i was actually preparing myself for where i am right now i need a healthy love for tv to write screenplays uh, you know um a healthy love for theater to actually engage with theater um so so um, I am definitely where I'm supposed to be. I think I got a little exhausted, not a little, a lot. I got very exhausted with the machine of being a performer. I didn't want to be there for anybody's entertainment anymore. Um, and um, there are many horror stories that comes with being a performer and really like protecting your mental health and well-being mm-hmm. through all of it, especially when you're far away from your family. New York was, it wasn't an easy place to be because I was so far away from my family and I was mostly always the only person of color everywhere I was. And, you know, this sudden awareness of my blackness was new for me because it's not what I had to rectify while I was growing up with a child performer in Jamaica. Um, my friends. So there's so much of <laughs> my friends, my friends, people. We're talking to Anno Anno Okera, and she she he he is you know just letting us in just a little bit into his life as uh, writer, actor, producer. But I want to focus. We're focusing now more on her his writing. Anno, mm-hmm. uh, you said something earlier about wanting to see more people like yourself like us mm-hmm. in stories yeah why is that is so important to you i mean listen over the past three years we've lost people like jackie guy burt rose pat wright um Patrick, uh, we've been losing a bunch of some of Jamaica's foremost cultural icons, a lot of whom have actually kind of raised me. Um, Any one of them there you could actually like make a scene study from. Oh, yes. I mean, they were they were these vibrant, especially Bert. (laughs) Listen to me, man, and and. 
I just, I don't, I'll never call myself a comedy writer because I don't need to be. Just the dialogue alone from um, a Jamaican household is so vibrant. And a lot of the times they have to take bad things and make jokes. Let me tell you something. And um, it, it, it's, it's, I just, it would be so cool to see more of that. Luckily for me, while in New York, and I'm a big history nerd, um, I had the privilege of um, just doing a lot of research, just about a lot of um, Jamaican um, contribution, you know, whether it's to Jamaica or around the world. I had no idea that um, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, uh, how would you, what was the best word to put it? A lot of our Pan-African um, ideologies um, uh, were built on the shoulders of Marcus Garvey and uh, people like um, Amy Ashwood Garvey and Amy Jack, Amy Jack is yeah. Garvey. Like, yeah, so like the thing is like, what those Jamaicans were doing in New York for black people who were at that time refugees of terror who pretty much were escaping certain deaths in the South to find new opportunities in places like Harlem was just so incredible to just read. Um, I mean, we were talk we're talking about like job opportunities for you know people who didn't necessarily have options, you know, working class people, I'm not talking about the educated bunch. Um, I didn't know that Claude McKay was the first published African-American poet in the United States. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know that um, carrying on the legacy of um, of um, Pan-Africanism, mm -hmm. um, Amy Ashwood would literally like, not just be in the space that she was with Marcus and the UNIA, but she was also contributing to the legacy of performers coming out of that time, the new federal theater, the La sorry, the Lafayette players, like all those guys that, you know, she fundraised so much money so that those guys, I'm talking about Paul Ropes and the Josephine yeah. Bakers, those guys that we uh, look to, you know. And Marcus there was Garvey, a Jamaican, Marcus Garvey was there the was one a who Jamaican actually, there. yeah, Marcus Garvey was the one who actually, you know, gave Louis Bennett her career. You see what her. I'm saying? So like, so, so, I mean, and even like taking that from there to, to, to come back here, like it was Amy that pretty much while in London um, sort of forced the um, British government into an, an inquiry, uh, brought Norman Manley over to sort of like be the barrister chairing that mm -hmm. um, when um, what's his name Kelso was murdered. You, you know what I mean? So like there's, the contribution of Jamaicans worldwide 
is just so much. It's so far reaching. So much so that years later, a lot of Americans are enjoying um, their civil rights because years before there was a, a Jamaican walking down the street in a big parade exemplifying this whole concept of black pride. I mean, back at that time, can you imagine how ridiculous it must have looked to all those people who actually called it ridiculous? But when you think about what that might have done for the consciousness of people who needed to feel uplifted, absolutely, um, you really get a sense of why now we say things like Black Lives Matter. What Marcus Garvey was saying back then was Black lives have always mattered. Always. And I am Black and proud. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? But I realized in that moment that, um, that I'm from that kind of like... Um, that kind of legacy, you know what I'm saying? And that um, it just isn't enough for me to just be on stage, kicking up my foot and I sing out my throat all, and I get clapped every night. Um, you're you're right. Not, not taking anything away from anyone who loves what they yeah. do, but I, I have earned the right to say what I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you're writing now, you're writing uh, now a story on the Maroons, right? Yeah, I was hired to write that. the pilot. Well, I was hired to write the pilot for um, for the for a new um, adventure series called The Maroons. Um, I can't let I can't say a lot. I can say that I'm doing I'm working on that project, um, but it's kind of really really cool. It's a big deal, and it's um. I'm very like, um, I'm freaked out by it, to be honest with you, because I, the, the entire story is so much bigger than me, but they were adamant that they wanted to hire a Jamaican. Um, they wanted a fresh perspective. Um, luckily for me, I'm trained and I love history. Um, so the, the, the challenging parts have been, where do you find that intersection? You know, I think we all have a closeness to the, the stories of our ancestors and we all want it to be right. So I think a big part of my responsibility has been in where does an intersection sort of exist and how I bring all those stories together to really tell a human story about the ways that black families have been disenfranchised, how we're reclaiming what can feel like home for us um, and really just sort of like tell a story about resistance, yeah. about people who really revolutionized what we now know as guerrilla warfare it was happening in freaking jamaica you know what i'm saying so like i get to be the person who explores that um with the creators and then actually then sit in a writing room with other writers who I'll, 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 I'll have a hand in saying who comes to that room, which I'm so excited about yeah. and um, really create magic. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm here. The people at Jamaica yeah. making waves in the dials. <laughs> oh God. I, I know. That. I know. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I know. When you, when you, you yes, know, about this, this, I said, what would you like your legacy to be? I mean, when you, when you look at the fact that this story that you're writing now, the Maroons especially, and the likely impact that that will have on the pride and confidence of Jamaicans, not just living in Jamaica, but abroad as well. What would you want your impact to be, your legacy to be? 
Well, first of all, I'm committed to getting the story right. To getting the story I'm telling right. Um, I think that there's so many contra there's so many contradicting histories that exist of what it is, and understandably so. Right. You know, we were under colonial rule at that time. Um, excuse me, but what I would love is to be a bit of a machine for the different ways that cinematic experiences that exemplify um, our stories really are existing most prominently beyond places like Hollywood and really like on every streamer, <laughs> I think could be a really wonderful um, kind of legacy. Um, I just, I wanna, I mean, you know, there's, <laughs> I think every Jamaican child has a memory of some adult that actually made them feel like they could be whatever it is that they wanted to be. Yes. And I think if we, we, we got the, the chance to, we would probably tell those stories, right? I get, to, I get to, as a filmmaker, collaborate with filmmakers from all over the world to actually illuminate our stories, not capitalize on our stories like a lot, I think a lot of people are doing, mm -hmm. um, but to really just sort of like tell our stories and tell them right. Yeah, man. Is the one that said? Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, that's what I want my legacy to be. I want to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. There, that's, there's so many that's of what stories. I would like. Yeah. There's so many of our stories that there's so many of our stories, man. And and like, just, to, just to, to, to just like look at it at every level. And it just would be really cool to even like look at just the intercontinental links yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of how our stories kind right. of travel and then how they then sort of like leave impact where they land especially um so yeah in a nutshell that's what that's why i'm doing what i'm doing now excellent and um when i do start performing again because i will um it will be it will be things i want to do that i'm choosing to do i'm not I, I'm, I'm, I'm not i'm not performing because i need to i'm performing because i choose to be because right. for me performing has always been home right and i think um the business of it and uh, the machine of it took away that joy from me. And I really got burned out and just hated it. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to sort of fall in love with it again on my terms. I'm not going to talk about anything regarding that. But there are <laughs> definitely... Well, just to say, one, just to say that <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing back on the stage. Uh, I'm also looking forward to seeing your stories all over the screens, everywhere I go. Yeah. I mean, I know me, I put you in a little word for myself. Maybe I can get them to come roll out. I just saying, I just saying. Listen, I'm just saying, like, you know, we we both know you're a very talented actor. Uh, I mean, we both know, that whether it's public knowledge or not, we both know that you 
very, very much in a dear friend of mine's work <laughs> that's currently being, you know. Thank so, you. I mean, <laughs> so the thing is, the thing is, Philip, you never know what kind of doors those things open. Yeah. Um, but, but I think a lot more of us are in places where we get to actually like look at um, how we want to locate the work and the kinds Absolutely. of people we want to work with. Absolutely. So I'm excited about what the future looks like right. and just really collaborating with yeah. more Jamaicans. Friends, do my friends, my friends out there, my goodness, we're talking to a great Jamaican. His name is <laughs> Anno Okero. Anno Okero, who you haven't seen. <laughs> you haven't seen the best of him yet. The best is yet to come. And Anno, I want to thank you so much. He's clearly has had a lot of influence of Jamaica and Jamaicans on his art and his work. And Definitely. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, for just sharing with me and, you know, allowing me into your space. But before My you- Absolute go, pleasure, Philip. Thank you. You know, there is, you talk a lot about young people. You talk about your time in Augustown, Jamaica. You talk about your and father. You talk about your mother and the and things that you remember about her. You obviously loved and lived your childhood, living your truth. If one- Yeah, I mean, person, is there a way to know? Well, well, this is the thing. There are not many people like you out there. So that's why I have to make sure mm -hmm. I introduce to them so that they can be better people. If you yeah. were to say one thing to a young person listening to you right now, what is that one thing you'd want them to know? Don't make anybody put any limits on you. I remember when um, I asked someone to give me a recommendation um, because I was applying for university. I wanted to apply for And unbeknown to me, the recommendation letter said, and I quote, because I still have it, Anna Okira Harris, is an adequate talent mm -hmm. now. I looked at the letter, I looked up, and then I looked back at the letter. And I said to the letter, when have I ever been an adequate talent? I closed the letter and I put it back in the envelope or envelope as we say in Jamaica. And um, luckily for me, I had a plan C and D. And it's a good thing somebody did open the envelope. Is there a message? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was very, it was very, I think at the time, heartbreaking because this is someone that I spent every day with, someone who I considered one of my nurturers and teachers. And I think what was interesting about that is those guys saw me very, very specifically in the ways it served them. But my parents always saw me as boundless and nurtured me in that regard. 
Um, so I never felt like anything was beyond me or impossible. And so what I will say to every single child in Jamaica is don't, don't, you don't have to live in the boxes that people choose to put you in. You can be whatever you want to be. And I'm definitely a living testament to that. Amen. 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 And that is an a amen. very fitting note to end this fabulous interview. Look here, no man. No one can the interview, but we don't have much time. Lord of mercy. If you don't know, if you don't really know how much no one can, I mean, no one no here to you know. But ladies and gentlemen, I I have to I have to call it George today. So, Anna, thank you so much for being a wonderful, wonderful guest, and thank you for letting me again into your home. And I wish you all the very best in your endeavors, in your creativity, in your life, in your career, on this journey called life. It has been an absolute pleasure being here with you. Thank you so much for, um, you know, just sharing with me today. And um, it means a lot. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. So yes, my friends, so that's our show. So please make sure you tune in to this channel next week for another fabulous interview. But if you want to hear this interview again, you can go on to Spotify or Google Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. All right. But please remember to like, subscribe and share. All right. Have a wonderful day.